0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers are throwing it back to the 1950s this weekend, which, coincidentally, feels like about the last time the Washington football team wasn't a total disgrace. Okay, maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but you get the point. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. And we're going to try to get through this episode without saying the incorrect name of the Washington football team. But first, we're going to talk about Whitney Merciless. The Packers signed him this week after he was released by the Houston Texans. Six foot four, about 260 pounds in his 10th season out of Illinois, where he played for Ron Zook. Yeah, that's right. He was his coach at Illinois. Uh, Merciless went 26th overall in the 2012 NFL draft, just two picks ahead of Nick Perry. And you got to wonder if the Packers would have taken Merciless instead of Perry had things been available. And you've got to wonder if, uh, either way, if, you know, Harrison Smith might have been the better pick anyway, but that is a discussion for another day. The good on Merciless is uh, he's still finishing the job at 31. The pressure rate has been headed down for a while. We'll talk about that in a second, but he's still getting to the quarterback. Three sacks in six games, and you know there are many caveats that can apply there. A lot of things go into a sack. I think we all understand that, but the point is he's getting there, and getting there is the point. Uh, We talk a lot about in Green Bay in generally, not not me specifically, but in Green Bay generally they talk about the important of importance of pressure rate and getting pressures on the quarterback and things like that, and that's true. that's a great thing to have happen. Rashawn Gary gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback, his his pressure rate is good, but he, he doesn't finish all that often. Merciless has been finishing, at least in twenty twenty one. So there's that. The bad, though, is that that pressure rate has been plummeting for years. Uh, he's getting less and less consistent pressure on the quarterback. He hasn't been in double digits since 2018. Uh, that year, he had a 12.7% pressure rate, according to Sports Information Solutions. That's more or less the same across a couple other platforms as well, and there's, there's the most accessible, so we go with that one here. 12.7% in 2018, 82 in 2019, 8.1% in 2020, and 7.4% so far this year. That's not a terrible rate. But it's not dominant pass number, pass rusher numbers. But still, you got to ask yourself the question: Was this a good idea? And I do think so because here's the deal: The Packers are really hurting right now, and they're hurting especially at the edge. Their edge rushers are a pretty thin group right now. Here's the group of edge rushers on the Packers, on their fifty-three man roster who are healthy right now: Rashawn Gary, Ladarius Hamilton and Jonathan Garvin. That is it. Preston Smith still working back from that oblique injury. It's those three guys. You can group in Tipa Naliyai on the practice squad if you want, Uh, Aaron Adioe on the practice squad if you want. It doesn't improve the picture a whole lot. Whitney Merciless gives the Packers a guy who can play right now, and he gives them a guy who can be a solid edge number three or edge number four when everybody's healthy. Let me ask you this. Who would you rather have as the third option behind Roshon, Gary, and Preston Smith uh, right now? Is it Whitney Merciless, or is it Jonathan Garvin, or is it Ladarius Hamilton? It's Whitney Merciless, obviously. Even if the stats aren't quite there, you take the guy with experience, uh, the guy who knows how to get to the quarterback, and the guy who's going to take advantage, you'd think at least, of a little less attention in Green Bay than he may have been getting in Houston. There is a case to be made to go the other way, though, because what, despite the sack numbers being better, Merciless has fewer total pressures than Garvin so far this year, nine for Garvin so far, just five for Merciless outside of the sacks. Obviously, there's are caveat there, but still. And Hamilton's pressure rate is only a little bit behind where Ladarius, or uh, where Whitney Merciless's is. He's at 6.7% on the year so far. He's getting to the quarterback only a little bit less than Whitney Merciless. But I'll add uh, another thing for you to consider here, too. Uh, Merciless is playing differently this year than he ever has before. This year in Houston, he was playing as more a traditional hand-on-the-ground defensive end versus as a stand-up pass rusher. To put some numbers on it, according to Pro Football Focus, he has played 198 snaps so far this year as a defensive end, as a guy who's rushing with his hand on the ground. Last year, he played just seven. That's a big change. And I know functionally, those positions are not all that different. But it's still a change to make, especially heading into year 10 right now. I think if the Packers can get him doing a little bit more of what he's used to, there could be some upside here. The bottom line is that he's an experienced pass rusher, He'll be a good depth option. And more to the point, whether he's a good depth option or not, he is an option, which is something the Packers really need right now. On to the Washington football team. What are they? Honest question. What are they this season? A phrase that gets bandied about a little bit in the Power Sweep Discord server, check it out, become a patron at patreon.com slash the PowerSweep, you'll get in, is NPC Franchise. Non player character. You play video games? You play tabletop role playing games. You know what a non player character is? For those of you who know, it's gonna take a second here. For those of you who don't, a non player character is basically any character that you can interact with in a game whose whose job basically is to advance the plot. They're not gonna do anything to really change the overall course of the game. They're there to help you, the protagonist. And that's basically what the Washington football team has been since basically since Joe Gibbs left town the first time, especially since Dan Snyder bought the team in the late 90s. They've been run poorly. They've been consistently diminishing the capacity of their own stadium because they can't fill it. It's just been a bad look for what was once one of the NFL's premier franchises. Throw in this entire mix, a controversy, fast-developing one over the team's name. Sprinkle in some FBI investigations sprinkle in a related controversy that takes down one of the highest profile coaches in the league because he's emailing racial slurs and all the other things um, with one of your team executives. Man, you just start to look like somebody who's, you know, just a cosmic example of what a football team is not supposed to look like. But this year, the Washington football team is really taking that to another level. They are 2-4, and four, which gets you third place in the NFC East right now, behind the Cowboys at 5-1 and one and the Eagles at 2-4 and four as well. But how they've gotten to that point has been, well, it's been interesting, to say the least. We look at one-score games a lot, and one-score games are generally considered kind of a fluky sort of thing. If you're regularly winning one-score games, that luck's just kind of been on your side. Well, Washington is 2-1 one in one-score games so far this year, if you can believe that. They lost to the Chargers 20-16 to in Week 1, beat the Giants 30-29 to in Week 2, and then beat the Falcons 34-30 to in Week 4. But other than that, things have not gone particularly well for the Burgundy and Gold. They lost to the Bills by 22. They lost to the Saints by 11. They lost to the Chiefs by 18. So unless they're finding a way to win these fluky one-score games, it has not been great. And a big reason it hasn't been great is because the Washington football team really doesn't have anybody to scare opposing defenses. Starting with the quarterback, Taylor Heineke, one, 210 pounds in his fourth year out of Old Dominion. There is something you don't see every day, an Old Dominion NFL player. So far this year, he's completing 64% of his passes, about 1,400 yards so far. Nine touchdowns, six interceptions. On his career, he's got 11 touchdowns, and 9 interceptions. If that gives you the impression he hasn't played a whole lot in his career to date, you would be correct. Look, it's not great for Heineken. He's not scaring anybody. That stat line shouldn't scare you at all for good reason. But one thing Washington is doing pretty well so far this year is protecting their quarterback, and he's helped them to two wins in exchange. So as we talk about where Washington is strong, we've got to look at their offensive line. Part of the reason their quarterback hasn't been a complete disaster is that he's not getting sacked all that often. He's got a sack rate of 2.5%, best in the league right now. It is the third best adjusted sack rate. That is uh, what the Washington offensive line has, according to Football Outsiders. They have the third best sack adjusted sack rate in the league. They are protecting their quarterback. Where, then, is Washington vulnerable? I would say that on offense, at least, they don't have super exciting skill position players. Nobody really on Washington is going to scare anybody on an opposing team. Nobody's really turning heads except, except for the appropriately nicknamed for this time of year, Scary Terry McLaren. McLaren, however you say that last name. Mr. Scary Terry is 6 feet tall. He's 210 pounds, and he was taken with the 76th overall pick in the 2019 NFL draft. Why do I get that specific with the draft pick number? Well, somebody went number 75. Somebody went to Green Bay at number 75, and that somebody was Jace Sternberger. It stings a little bit because Terry had over 1,100 yards last season. So far this year, he's off to a great start, too. 33 catches, 428 yards, 3 touchdowns. In case you're scoring at home, Jay Sternberger is, uh, well, he's a ways behind there. We won't get too specific, but uh, he is not putting up the same productivity numbers that uh, Terry McLaurin is. And if there's a weapon the Packers should be aware of on offense, for Washington, it is Terry himself. What about the Packers' offense taking about on the Washington defense then? Where are the strengths of this unit? Got to be the defensive line. Packers.com writer Mike Spofford said it very well this week, summarizing what they've done over the past four years on the defensive line. Quoting now from the article, The Washington football team spent four first-round picks in consecutive years to assemble its front, starting on the interior by choosing Jonathan Allen, 17th overall in 2017, and Deron Payne, 13th and 18, followed by the edge guys Montez Sweat, 26th and 19, and Chase Young, 2nd and 20, 20. The fifth member who rotates in is a solid performer as well in Matt Ioannidis, a fifth-round pick back in 2016. Now, the Packers are getting healthier on the offensive line, exiting the quote portion of this, uh, of this podcast now, but I think there is still some reason to be concerned here. The Bears did a pretty good job last week of pressuring Aaron Rodgers. They didn't put as much pressure on him as the Packers put on Justin Fields, but the Bears still used pretty good push up front to get after Aaron Rodgers. Washington is not regularly bringing down opposing quarterbacks, but with that much talent up front, you have to think there could be some opportunities, especially with the Packers' offensive line still a little bit shaky. Who should we know about then? Well, let's circle back to Montez Sweat for a second. He was one of two guys I wanted at edge ahead of Rashawn Gary in 2019, so good time to check in and see how things compare. Sweat, like Gary, a supremely athletic prospect, but unlike Gary, he was very productive in college. How are they producing in the NFL then? Let's look at four categories. Sacks, quarterback hits, pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, and pressure rate, again, according to Pro Football Focus. Through three seasons, here's Montez Sweat's stat line. In 2019, he had seven sacks, 13 quarterback hits, 19 pressures, and was pressuring the quarterback 9% of the time. In 2020, those numbers jumped to 9 sacks, 20 quarterback hits, 49 total pressures, and an 11.4% pressure rate. And then so far in 2021, he's got 3 sacks, 7 quarterback hits, 32 pressures, and a pressure rate of 9.4%. How's Rashawn Gary then? In 2019, he finished with 2 sacks, 3 quarterback hits, 25 total pressures, and a pressure rate of 14.8%. He just didn't get a lot of opportunities as a rookie, but when he was on the field, he was getting after the quarterback. In 2020, those numbers bumped up to five sacks, 11 quarterback hits, and 13.2% pressure rate. Interesting. Higher than Sweat on the rate stat. And then for 2021 so far, he's got a sack and a half, 11 quarterback hits, and a pressure rate of 10.5%. So Gary is more consistently getting after the quarterback. He's just not finishing as consistently as Sweat does. What do you do with that information? I'm not quite sure. Because pressuring the quarterback is good, and you regularly want to be able to make the quarterback's life miserable. That is true. But ultimately, you do want to get all the way there. And so far, the scoreboard on the sack totals is 19 for Sweat, Eight and a half for Gary. The quarterback hits are not quite there either. He's just not getting to the quarterback the same way that Sweat is. He's consistently putting some pressure on the quarterback. He's just not getting all the way there at the same kind of rate. Talking about production ratio and ball hawks, uh, as we do every week in the previous segment, as talented as the defensive line is in Washington, they are not converting that talent into results outside of Montez Sweat. Jonathan Allen has a production ratio of 1.33 so far this year. Sweat's right behind him at 0.83, so not doing as much against the run as he is in terms of sacks. Uh, Chase Young is behind him at 0.75, and then Cole Holcomb, the linebacker, rounds it out at 0.5. The Washington defense is not really getting their hands on the ball either. They've got four defensive backs with five or more ball hawks so far this season, but none have more than seven. Not even going to bother you with the names because none of them really have noteworthy stats, but know that none of them have more than one interception so far this year, and none have defended more than five passes so far this season. Last time the Packers played against Washington was way back in week 14 of 2019. Actually surprisingly close, and that was the funny thing about uh, researching for this, this week's preview post was... The Packers actually have a pretty regular history with the Washington football team. They end up getting together with these guys fairly frequently. Uh, the most recent time, of course, 2019, but prior to that, they saw them, well, uh, pretty regularly. Uh, they played them in 2018, where Washington beat the Packers 31-17. to Prior to that, it was 2016. They met in the 2015 playoffs, and then in the 2013 regular season. That's a pretty regular meeting schedule for these teams who are not in the same division. But week 14, 2019, Packers really had very little to play for in this one, and it showed. The long and short of it is that they got up 14 points early and kind of just hung on from there. Final score was 20 to 15. It's as ugly as that scoreboard sounds. Aaron Rodgers had fewer than 200 yards passing. Aaron Jones had a great day, 134 yards rushing on 16 carries, another 58 yards on six catches, But really, that's all the notable stuff in this game, other than the fact that Adrian Peterson played for the Washington football team in this one. The Packers have played Peterson as a member of three different teams now. Minnesota, obviously, Washington, and Detroit. And they also missed playing against him in 2017 by about three weeks when he would have been a member of the New Orleans Saints. But he was released and ended up signing with Arizona prior to that. So who's going to end up winning this week? Simple one here. The Packers are going to win. The Packers should win because they're a better team. This is a good litmus test, I think, though, for the Packers, because the Packers have their work cut out for them. Washington has one obvious strength and one obvious weakness on their defense. Can the Packers counter the strength and exploit the weakness? We skipped, I'm realizing now, right over the vulnerabilities in the Washington defense, so let's talk about that for a second. While they are strong on the defensive line, they are most vulnerable against the pass. They have the second worst graded coverage unit in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus. And if you like your numbers from Football Outsiders, they have the 28th ranked pass defense by DVOA. Can the Packers prevent Washington from playing to their strength with that big, tough defensive line? And can they exploit the very obvious weaknesses That Washington has in the secondary. The Packers have been a little bit up and down. They're dealing with some injuries, but the path forward should be clear. Find a way to protect Aaron Rodgers here and let him tear apart that secondary. I think it's going to happen. I think the Packers win, and I think the Packers win pretty handily in their fantastic-looking throwback uniforms, which I'm very excited to see on the field. A lot of you feel the same way, though, a lot of confidence going around this week in the uh, world of the Packers internet, the Twitter portion at least. According to our weekly Twitter poll, 97.3% of voters believe that the Packers are going to win this week. That is the second highest figure of the year behind week one against the Saints. 97.6% of people that week thought, um, thought the Packers are going to win. Overall though, people are feeling good about the Packers. Uh, The team as a whole is up to an approval rating of 93.2%. That is the highest figure of the year. Brian Gutekunst also enjoying some popularity. He, too, has notched his highest number of the year, an approval rating of 86%. Matt LaFleur, high as always in the upper 90s, 98%. Aaron Rodgers has been hanging steady in the mid-80s lately, 85.1 approval rating right now, actually down 1.2%. And the third week in a row, his approval rating has dropped. Also on the way up, though, Joe Barry. We noted last week that his approval rating was above 50% for the first time. It is still above 50%. In fact, he's closing in on 60%. 59.2% of our voters approve of the job Joe Barry is doing on defense. Maurice Strayton on special teams, not quite so lucky. Approval rating at 19.1%. However, he has been in double digits ever since week two continues to hang on as people try to formulate an opinion about the Packers' special team. For the fourth week in a row, Drayton's neutral opinion number has been above 50%, so people are still not quite sure what they think of the new special teams coordinator, and honestly, I can't blame them. What's the deal with the Packers on special teams? Been an adventure so far this year, and uh, Maurice Strayton is there with a front row seat. But I think... This week the Packers are going to come out on top. They're going to handle the Washington football team. They're going to break in those new throwbacks with a win, and they're going to continue their march to six and one before things get really interesting for the next month or so. Starting with a Thursday night matchup against the Arizona Cardinals. That's all I've got for you in this episode. We will see you after the game at some point. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it a lot if you'd go ahead and share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. It's going to help more people find the show and ultimately get more people involved in this ongoing two-sided conversation we're having about the Green Bay Packers, which ultimately is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.